0: Matthew chapter 8 is our text for tonight. We'll begin with verse 5. Matthew chapter 8. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word. My servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. The Sermon on the Mount... Is finished, chapters 5 through 7. You remember Matthew. And now Matthew relates various miracles of Jesus, showing that Jesus' words, his teaching, were not in vain. Whatever Jesus taught, he could apply, he could do, he could effect, because he was indeed the powerful. Son of God. Now, I don't know. I suppose Jesus knew. He he knew all things. And Jesus probably knew that there would be a temptation. You know, many people have taken the Sermon on the Mount as a prescription of of good teaching. and And there's always been a temptation to see Jesus merely as a teacher of good morals. Love your neighbor. Do good to others. The golden rule. I once heard... Uh, Bible distribution ministry, and it wasn't anywhere around here, so I know I'm not talking about anybody nearby. Um, Bible distribution ministry promoted because the Bible raised people's morals and raised them out of poverty. Well, I have no doubt that if you practice Scripture, you don't lie, steal, and cheat, you're probably going to be better off and you'll have a better society and you will probably certainly your morals will be improved and probably your economic situation as well. But there's a problem with seeing Jesus as simply a teacher of morals. We can never divide the person and work of Jesus from His words. And the person and work and words of Jesus Christ are orientated to His reconciliation of sinners with God the Father. Now, this story that we have before us is remarkable in all its facets. It's tremendous. If you're taking notes, we have a very simple and straightforward outline just following the text. The person involved here is a centurion. Boys and girls, you know who the centurions were, right? They were Romans. They were Gentiles. They were uncircumcised. They were the invading empire that ruled over the Jews. They were hated. And this centurion was an officer in the military that was stationed in Israel. However, it appears that God had been working in his life upon being stationed in Israel. In fact, in the parallel in Luke... Luke tells us, the Jews come to Jesus and tell Jesus that this centurion had built a synagogue for them. He had paid to build a church. Now, no Roman Gentile would build a church for the Jews that hated them if there wasn't something going on in his life. And so, God had already been working through, we don't know what contacts, what he'd heard, what Scriptures he had heard, how the Spirit had worked in his heart. But he would become interested in the salvation of his soul. He had become interested in the Scriptures. He had begun to identify in some way with God's people. In fact, in the Luke account, the Jews go to bat for him and they plead with Jesus, please help him, for he is worthy. Now, I want you to remember that because it's an important detail. The Jews insist that Jesus heal His servant because He is worthy, this Roman Gentile, they say. Now, we have almost a humorous irony. The Jews, who many of them did not ever believe in Jesus, are bringing this... Gentile to Jesus um, so that Jesus will heal his servant, will do a miracle for him. They're taking the case of a Roman soldier. So there's all sorts of irony in that very, in that very you know, fact. But let's go to the heart of the story. And what Matthew has presented for us, what Jesus presents for us, is how this centurion gives evidence of true faith. You see, what we have in this passage is the character of true faith. And when we talk about our mission, this is what we pursue, that people come to true faith. And this is what Jesus noted and provoked in this passage. And so, first of all, the Roman... Centurion comes, and in verse 8, he comes to Jesus, and he says, uh, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Speak the word. I'm a man of authority, and he recognizes that just as he has authority over men, Jesus has authority. Over health. First of all, this Roman centurion understands and believes the authority of Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself why we have so many details in this story? Matthew could have said, a centurion had a sick servant and Jesus healed him. That, that would say it all, wouldn't it? No, we have minute details of a dialogue, of a discussion of what people think. We have before us the crucial element of Jesus' mission, which is to bring true faith. Point number one, the centurion affirms the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, the authority of Christ's Word is under attack. It always has been. It's been under attack in the world and it's been under attack in the church as well. Now, unfortunately, when it happens in the church, it is very destructive, of course. And today there is a subjectivism that is very strong in the church, everywhere I go. If I don't approve of something, then I'm free to act as I please. That attitude permeates. Western society, we make ourselves the final authority. You know, our weakest members in Costa Rica are those who reserve the right to judge everything by their own standards. Our strongest members in our church in Costa Rica and the ones who are the most diligent in the work of our Lord are those who affirm and embrace Christ's authority without Questioning. You see, true faith rests upon the absolute confidence, absolute confidence in the authority of Christ. And Christ's mission rests on the absolute confidence in the authority of Jesus Christ. If we won't recognize Christ's authority, When he says, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of the nations. If we won't recognize Christ's authority, we will never fulfill the church's mission in this world. First of all, the centurion gives evidence of a crucial element of true faith. He recognizes Christ's authority. Secondly, The centurion understands his own lack of worthiness. Remember, in Luke, the Jews say he is worthy for you to help him. But the centurion insists (laughs) that he is not worthy. He insists. He begs Jesus not to go. Now, this is remarkable. You know, I think if, if someone, let's say from the community of Pella, was... Assigned to go to the state legislature to make a petition on the part of the citizens of this region, and one of us, one of you, went with letters, letters of recommendation, high, high re- letters of recommendation, uh, worthy citizen, etc. and we had to go to the governor and present some petition we would go with confidence and we would say, here's my credentials, here's my recommendations. I'm coming well backed up by uh, these these uh, recommendations. Well, the centurion had personal representation with him. They were all saying, he's worthy for you to help him. And he says, no, I'm not. I'm not worthy. Please don't come under my roof. Now, this is remarkable, isn't it? The centurion understands his own unworthiness and he won't permit Jesus to go to his house. Well, we all learned this. Our catechism, what's the second question and answer? What do we need to know for us to enjoy comfort? We need to know how great is our sin and misery. Now, our mission is not Christ's mission if we don't help people see their sin and misery apart from Christ. Christ allows the centurion to recognize his own unworthiness. And, of course, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus led him into it. He says, I'll go. And he allows the centurion to contradict the Jews who accompanied him. And to say, I'm not worthy, please don't come. Thirdly, the centurion understands that life and death are in Jesus' power. He says, Lord, just speak the Word. Just speak the Word. I know my servant will live. He understands that in Jesus Christ is the power over life and death. He's making a remarkable confession. Peter later in Acts chapter 4, verse 12 will say, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. People of God, we should never feel shame or fear or timidity about taking someone to the feet of Jesus. Jesus has the power over life and death. What better place to take someone to? The Jews took Him to Jesus. They didn't even realize what they were doing, but they did right. Well, we know, don't we? We know who Jesus is. And we should never feel hesitation. Fourthly, the centurion understands that Christ's Word alone has the power to heal. Now, We cannot know just how much the centurion understood, you know, what was the content of his faith. We can't know that. But it is clear that he believed God. It is clear that he understood that Jesus was sent by God with God's power. And that Jesus had God's power to heal. We know that much. And what a tremendous surprise to hear his confession of faith in the power of Jesus. Just speak the word, and I know my servant will be healed. He fully believes that Christ's word is sufficient to do whatever Jesus says it should do. And Jesus marvels at his faith That. I'm glad our translation uses that word because that's a very accurate translation. Jesus marvels at His faith. John Calvin commenting this passage says there are two reasons why Jesus lifts His faith up as an example. There are two reasons why Jesus lifts up the faith of this century and is an example for all time. First of all, Because with relatively little understanding, his faith gave great fruit, his testimony was immediate, his confidence was abundant, and he affirmed publicly this confidence. I'm going to read that again. John Calvin says, Jesus marvels and lifts up the centurion's faith because with relatively little understanding, you know, every person in this room has More understanding. I mean, even from the tiniest kids that that have understanding, we all have more understanding of Jesus than that centurion had. Everybody here has much more understanding of who Jesus is than that centurion. And with relatively little understanding, his faith gave great fruit. His testimony was immediate. His confidence in Jesus was abundant. And he affirmed publicly this confidence in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? It is a beautiful example of his faith. And Calvin says the second motive that Jesus puts his faith as an example is that because while the Jews sought signs, the centurion does not ask for any sign. He doesn't say, well, Lord, give me some sign that my servant is going to be healed. He simply says, speak the Word. Christ's Word was sufficient for him. And Jesus says, I haven't found such faith in all of Israel. You know, we we live in a day in which we love to be entertained sensationalism has taken over great sectors of the church. I think probably for the most part we've been free from that. But in Latin America, it's a huge problem, sensationalism. And that desire for sensations and new experiences actually follows the Jews in the wrong road wanting sensationalistic signs and the faith that Jesus holds up as an example is one which does does not ask for any sign. He trusts the Word. So this evening, we should ask ourselves, how would our own personal lives be changed if our faith was more like the centurion's? And how would our sense of mission personally, and as a church, change if our faith was more like the centurions? For instance, what if we really trusted the power of Christ's Word to forgive? I want us to think about that. You know, taking continuing with guilt in our own life is a hindrance. We believe what we profess this morning. If a Christian confesses his or her sin, God is faithful and righteous to forgive his sin and to cleanse us. And yet there are Christians who bear a sense of guilt, and because of that, do not serve probably in ways that the Lord would have them to serve. So what if we really believed the power of Christ's Word to forgive in our own hearts? And what about in someone else? Someone else's life? Do we continue to impose a cloud over someone who sinned, Possibly, severely, who has confessed that sin? Do we believe Christ's Word is powerful enough to actually forgive and it's gone? And what about the flip side? What about legalism? What about imposing hypocritical hypocritical standards on others because nobody keeps the law? If we really trusted the power of Christ's Word to forgive, how would our life and how would our church change? What if we really trusted the power of Christ's word to transform? Do we, do we accept excuses in our own life or in others' lives? When Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Jesus Christ's word is powerful to transform. We should believe that. What if we believed the power of Christ's word to comfort? You know, as we've been through the year of COVID, I've seen new things. You know, I'm, I'm old. Those are, who are sitting up there where I used to sit as a young person so the pastor wouldn't see me who was, who was my father. Um, you have to look down on a bald head just about. Uh, I've been pastoring for many, many years and yet I've seen new things brought out by the, all that we've lived through this past this past year. And strangely, strangely, I've detected in some people almost a desire to not want comfort. It's almost like we want to live in a state of no comfort. Now, there's a reason Psalm 23 has been a favorite Psalm probably ever since it was written. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And on. If we truly believed in the power of Christ's Word to comfort, what would we be willing to do? What would we not fear to do? How about if we trusted the power of God's Word to counsel and to warn against the real consequences of sin? Do we, out of fear, out of a desire to, to not rub someone the wrong way, do we hide what God says? Because Christ's Word is a two-edged sword. And Paul says, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 5, verse 3, fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather give thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And he goes on, what if we believe the power of Christ's word to counsel? Do we send people too easily off to the psychiatrist or the psychologist? And we're not confident in the power and the simplicity of God's word to counsel. Now, people of God, you are the calling church of Pablo Landasuri in Ecuador. You are a supporting church of our work through your offerings in Costa Rica. You have the joint privilege of promoting this Jesus and this faith in those countries and certainly here in your own community and in your own lives. Because Jesus has in mind the consequence for missions when He, when He concludes this whole matter right here. And the following verses are evidence. Jesus says, and we're back in Matthew, He says, assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the West, from the East and the West, will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, missions as Jesus sees it is that all that will matter is faith in the authority and the power of His Word. Just as an uncircumcised centurion could receive his blessing, so many from the east and the west, uncircumcised Gentiles, would, who were presently in, his, in this moment that he speaks, they were outside the church, they would come and they would sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, faith in Jesus Christ will be the only requisite to enter the kingdom. And with this one verse, Jesus smashes all prejudices based on anything else, be it race, social status, ethnicity, or what have you. And let this be a warning. Let this be a warning to Christ's church today. The only stumbling block has to be only the cross of Jesus Christ. We may not place other barriers. The Jews, unwittingly... <laughs> Brought an uncircumcised Gentile to Jesus. But Jesus drives home the lesson. You did well. You did well. Now there's a severe warning to the church itself. Verse 12. The subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out. The word that is used here, that Matthew translates whatever... Jesus possibly spoke Aramaic. Maybe he was speaking Greek for the sake of the Roman centurion. The word that is used is a very strong word. It's cast out. It's thrown out. Ekbalo. Why does Jesus say the sons of the kingdom would be thrown out? Were they not born into the covenant? Had they not been baptized? Had they not been circumcised? At eight days, yes, they had been. But their lack of faith would turn them into covenant breakers. And they would be thrown out. And then Jesus describes, He gives a vivid description of hell. One of several that Jesus gives in His ministry. And He says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All the verses that I could find where Jesus describes hell speak of weeping of those who had been covenant members. They'd all been of Israel. Why? Why doesn't he just say gnashing of teeth and and discomfort? Why does he say weeping? You know why? Because those who were raised in the covenant for eternity will regret they did never they never believed, they never trusted, they never followed. They knew. They knew from their earliest youth they knew the truth. They rejected it. And now they will weep forever. People of God, Jesus is not playing at religion. And as He gives testimony to the sincere faith of this Gentile, His tone turns very serious and very urgent. Eternal destinies are at stake. And everything has to do with how we receive Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Everything. How does Jesus see missions? How does Jesus see His mission to you and me? How does He see His mission to the world through His church? Let's summarize. It's a mission which brings us to recognize Our own personal unworthiness. And it's a mission in which we are called to help others come to that point. Now in Costa Rica, precisely because we preach sin. Just as the hymn we just sang, A Debtor to Mercy because of our sin. We're called radicals. Church churches today, church people today, more and more don't want to even talk about sin. Now we don't only talk about sin, we talk about sin in the context of God's grace. But grace means nothing if there is no consciousness of our sin. And so first of all, Jesus' mission to ourselves, that's why every Reformed service begins right at the beginning of the service with confession of sin. We're confronted once again with God's perfect will through the law. And we confess our sin. It's necessary to, to savor and to embrace and to enjoy God's grace. Jesus' mission to us and to the world is a mission which brings men and women to understand their own personal unworthiness. Now, this isn't easy to do, especially in modern society. You and I know very well. People will say, well, who are you to... To judge me. People don't want to hear it. And I don't know how, the best way to do it. It is very difficult when we, when we talk with non-believers. Well, don't be judgmental. This is going further and further along. This whole idea. Nobody can judge anyone. Well, we're not judging. And I think what we have to do is go back to relying on scripture and just say to the people, look, I'm not judging. I'm not the one that is judging God's, God's x-ray machine, which is the Bible. He's the one that x-rays your heart and my heart, and what he sees is pretty bad. It's really bad. The wages of sin is death. We need to communicate that message, people of God. First of all, we need to be reminded ourselves constantly in order to in order to appreciate God's grace, and then we need to communicate this. Secondly, Christ's mission is is one which brings us and others to recognize and confess Christ's authority and the authority of His Word. All through history, the church has battled for sola scriptura. It's been the eternal battle. I thank the Lord that for our part, we're not questioning God's authority or His Word's authority and yet there are sectors of the church that continue to creep in and in latin america there are denominations which have gone through waves of what we call modernism liberal theology and once again god's word is questioned the authority of christ's word of christ which is christ himself is Subtly questioned and then later not so subtle. And so even though we are probably all very clear on sola scriptura, the authority of Christ's Word, someone said that every generation is only one step away from heresy. All you have to do is take one step. And so let us... Remind ourselves continually. Let us guard ourselves continuously. And let us ask for God's wisdom as we try to uh, communicate that Christ's Word is authority to those who don't believe it. This takes wisdom. It takes love. It probably takes a lot of patience. If you can... Interest a friend, a non Christian friend in Bible study, that's one thing that we use. Uh, Personal Bible study, personal relationships, I think that's still where, I think that's still the most effective. And so, secondly, Christ's mission is one which brings people to recognize and confess Christ's authority, just as the centurion said just speak the word. I know. And thirdly, Christ's mission is one which brings us to recognize and confess the power, the power of Christ's word. You know, I, my ministry takes me a lot, especially to work with pastors. And we have a saying in Spanish, I'll just say it, Entre dicho y hecho hay mucho trecho. It rhymes. Actually, there's probably some here that uh, where are my little girlfriends that uh, know Spanish this morning? I saw some kids that are in immersion. Are you there anywhere? <laughs> um, it means between the saying and the doing, there's a big chasm. That's basically translate that. And you know, it's easy to say, "Oh yes, we recognize the power of Christ's word." But then we turn around and we act as if we really don't believe it. I see this in the church context frequently. Reformed, Presbyterian, solid Baptist pastors will affirm their faith in the power of Christ's Word. And yet, in their church life or in their ministry, they they feel they have to attract people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say, oh, well, we'll try to make the churches boring and unattractive so just the elect come through that door. I'm not saying that. Okay? So nobody get the wrong idea, please. But one thing is to try to attract people through programs, through events, through other things, rather than the Word. And this is why it's so important that Centurion's testimony. He says, "Just say the word." And I talk to so many pastors who, intellectually, they say, "Yes, we believe Christ's word is powerful," and yet they're in their ministry and in their preaching. They've lost faith and confidence in that word, and so they suffer. One. Evidence, a very negative evidence of not believing the power of Christ's Word is never studying it. And so for yourself, are you bent on continually growing in Christ's Word? If you're, if you've slacked off in your Bible study, can we say you've stopped believing in the power of Christ's Word? Can we say that? Maybe. Christ's mission to the world will only happen through the power of His Word. And He's not going to thunder it from heaven. He's going to speak it through us. So the third point this evening is Christ's mission brings us to recognize, confess, and practice the power of Christ's Word. That means knowing it and sharing it. So, two final questions. Number one, would Jesus marvel at your faith tonight? We don't like that question, do we? It almost sounds presumptuous. But the Bible says Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. So what's wrong with asking, would Jesus marvel at my faith? You know what? I think we have this passage to challenge us, make it a goal. Could we have the same simple, effective, full faith of the centurion? Well, why don't we make it a goal that Jesus marvel at our faith? We're not being saved by works, we're not talking about earning credits, we're talking about pleasing He who is the fountain of salvation and grace. Secondly, our mission must have the urgency and the clarity that Jesus speaks of. Jesus speaks of His authority. His authority and the power of Christ's Word are the foundation for our mission. People of God, let us take others' With complete confidence to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, dear Jesus, thank you so much for this encounter with the centurion that day. Father, we are sobered by this account. Because You rebuke our secondary or other qualities that we may even seek as the Jews did. And You bring us, You focus us on what is the only and exclusive center of the Gospel that is Jesus Christ and His Word. And so, Father, help us in our own personal lives, please. Allow us once again to recommit ourselves to Jesus, His Word, the authority and the power of Your Word, Father. Dispel in our heart any doubts, fears, hesitations, O Lord. Mold us into the image of Your Son and use this church as a community both in Pella, and through their mission outreach program. We thank You for this passage, O Lord. We thank You for Your Word. It's in Christ's name that we thank You. Amen.